and welcome to another episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast. On this episode of number 77, we have Teresa Denicki. She is the owner and operator of Sleep Better NYC. She is a certified sleep coach and has started a practice in New York City, but can uh, support clients across the country and really globally. So they're a virtual company, but we dig into sleep coaching, the value of uh, a sleep coach, some key elements to navigating that with technology and for example working in a city like new york that is uh, you know coined the city that never sleeps so it's very countercultural and how to reclaim that within your own personal wellness walk uh, leveraging technology to do this and then how she was able to evolve her initial career, which was in medical device sales, specifically on sleep apnea devices that spurred on uh, really a passion project for her and now a business um, based on that. And then just constantly running into folks asking her questions on how to sleep better. And as she dug into it, just realized the scale and scope of the number of folks with sleep disorders, uh, as well as just general sleep issues when it comes to uh, just general life. So I know that's something I can relate to, and I'm sure many of you can as well. So I think you'll get a lot out of this conversation with Teresa. Please check her out at sleepbetter.nyc. It's also the uh, Instagram handle. But uh, listen, please share and why with somebody, a friend, family who can benefit from this. And as always, remember, be rested, be well. Teresa, welcome back for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Happy yeah. to see you again. Uh, you too. So for those listening, we had recorded uh, about a month ago and I had a technical error, my error, and accidentally deleted everything. So we have an opportunity to do it all over again. Perfect. Sounds good to me. I could talk about sleep all day long. Well, good, good. Uh, <laughs> hopefully the next 30, 40 minutes we'll do that. So um so a little background on you. I mean, uh, you're sleep coach now, certified, a couple of different certification. We can dig into, you know, the different types of certifications out there, but you were doing something else before this that was somewhat sleep related. So maybe just give a quick background on, on yourself and how you came to start Sleep Better NYC. Sure. Yeah. So I have been in medical sales and consulting for well over 10 years. And when I got into the sleep field, it, it really just clicked for me. Um, I started working with physicians and dentists who treat sleep apnea and other sleep disorders. And I just realized how life-changing these treatments could be. Um, I also noticed that a lot of their patients had been suffering for a really long time. Um, and some of them had some really other, some scary medical conditions and they just didn't know they were related. Yeah. And then on the other hand, in my everyday life, when I was talking to friends and family or strangers who found out that I was in sleep, they pretty much always had questions. And so it was just the de facto expert, right? De facto yeah. Expert. <laughs> right. Like uh, I'm not a doctor, but they knew that I knew doctors and I knew I knew a little bit about sleep. So they were always asking questions. And it was just amazing to me that there was so little accurate information out there for, you know, regular everyday people. So I really wanted to help bridge that gap, yeah. which got me on this pathway to sleep coaching. That's awesome. That's awesome. Very similar story for myself. So I think our missions align 
Very well. It really boils down to, you know, that last mile, I call it that the get it practical, right? And I think that's where folks like yourself are so important now. And hopefully the importance culturally is the need for a coach. And, and we need it in many different realms. But for whatever reason, as adults, we always think, oh, I've got it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Of course. We're like, oh, we can Google it. You can look it up online. But yeah. Dr. Actually, Google. Yeah. My, the other coach I work with, he always says that it's like um, personal training, but for sleep. Like, can you go on YouTube and find some workout videos? Yeah, of course. But are you going to do that? Is it right for you? Are you going to have to sort through like 50 videos before you find one that you like? So yeah. that's what we do as sleep coaches too. So do you see um, what's maybe an issue or hurdle that you do deal with when it comes to um, clients? Like what is, what is their hang up or is there a common denominator? Yeah. You know, unfortunately I think that a lot of sleep issues are behavioral for adults. Now sleep disorders, diagnosable sleep disorders are very common, especially sleep apnea, which is related to snoring. They're super common, but even people with an actual sleep disorder often have some habits and lifestyle things that could be adjusted, things yeah. that seem very normal and very easy, but just because it's easy doesn't mean that people do it. Yeah. And so when working with adults, you know, I think we're all pretty stubborn and set in our ways. Like you're saying, we, we think we can do it all, but you know, at one point, are you going to ask for help? <laughs> yeah. And the, the I'm fine is only going to work so far, so long mm-hmm. <clears throat> at some yeah. point, you know, you know, my own personal story too is, oh, I'm fine. And maybe for a brief moment in this, like a sprint, like experience, you know, we all have corporate jobs or many of us have corporate jobs that, you know, you have to stay up for that special project or whatever for a season, but not a lifestyle. Right. Right. And uh, I mean, for me, I know uh, there's the Netflix binge, right. And all those (laughs) Mm -hmm. contributing factors that you just don't want to go to sleep for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we know that too. I mean, I don't, people are pretty, pretty aware if they're staying up too late because they're watching a show, but, and again, if you do that once or twice every now and then, sure, fine. But you might not realize that you're doing it three, four times a week. And you think you're just doing it every now and then, and you're wondering why it's messing up your sleep patterns. But, you know, sometimes it really helps to have that outsider perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So you were deep in sleep apnea, maybe touch on that for just a moment, if you don't mind, like just kind of help define that. And I was even wondering about some of the details on how you would kind of self-diagnose before you go to a professional to Mm -hmm. understand if maybe you're somebody that might fall in that category. Definitely. And it is one of the most common sleep disorders and also one of the most overlooked about anywhere from 80 to 90% of people with sleep apnea are not even diagnosed. So we know that these people exist and these symptoms are very common, but a lot of times they never get to a doctor because they just don't even know it's an issue. So snoring is a pretty obvious sign of sleep apnea, although there are some people who just snore and don't have it. You know, it's very unlikely, but there are some people who just snore and that's just the way they are. Yeah. But the reason it's a symptom of sleep apnea is because the snoring is, it's the noise of the soft tissue in the back of your throat. So it's blocking your airway. It's physically blocking how you get your oxygen and how you exhale. And so even at the most basic level, if you think about, oh, I'm not breathing correctly, these, these tissues in the back of my throat are vibrating and making noise. I mean, I think we can all sort of assume that that's not great for us. Yeah. 
So it's kind of the airways constricting a little bit. And so when that constriction happens, you kind of get that vibration, which creates the snoring effect. Right, exactly. So if you have sleep apnea, apnea literally means without breath. So your airway will restrict or even close over and over again, every single hour, every single night. Oh wow. um, Some people, it might not close all the way and that would be called a uh, hypopnea, which just means it's restricted. But even restricted airway, it would be sort of like, like drinking from a coffee straw. It's just not enough air right. when you're sleeping. Oh, my cat decided to come and say hello. <laughs> Very nosy. Special guest, special guest. So that's, that is why it's so important, you know, overall is just, you need, everybody knows we need air. And when you're sleeping, you don't really have control over it. It's super common, especially if you're snoring, but sometimes um, there are people who just have a smaller mouth or a smaller airway in general. So you don't have to be some overweight middle-aged guy, which we sort of assume is that guy who snores, although it's definitely more common, but it really can be anybody. That's an interesting point that, yeah, you, you often hear about those who are a little bit on the overweight side, having that issue just based on where the position of the weight is on their body. But um, leaner folks are as susceptible or, or close to it, it seems like, to apnea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just for different reasons. Now, if you are a little heavier and as we get older, unfortunately, our muscles are going to relax anyway. So that does make it easier for this part of your body to just restrict or close in a little bit at night just because of gravity. Yeah. But if you anatomically are just made with a smaller airway, then even just the smallest restriction suddenly closes off. So what, what would be like um, an experiential side of things if somebody who's undiagnosed apnea, you said it's 80%, like there's a ton of people out there that have apnea mm -hmm. that don't even know they do. So millions how, of people that that's <laughs> absurd, but uh, number amount of people. So how, how would they physically know what's their symptomatic kind of uh, dashboard light, so to speak? Mm -hmm. Okay. So besides the snoring, you know, if you don't have a partner to be elbowing you every night, um, <laughs> you might, if you get, let's say seven or eight hours of sleep and you're still exhausted the next day, if you always feel like you need a nap in the middle of the day, then it's, it's very possible that you're not sleeping with good quality okay. because if you sleep for that long you generally feel okay you, you feel like you can make it through the day but if you have sleep apnea then you're having multiple arousals every single hour maybe you don't even realize that you wake up but your body is is basically waking up for seconds at a time okay um and you might be in lighter sleep versus deep sleep or REM sleep which you need so if you're in bed for a full night and you still feel tired that's a symptom Okay. If you wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air, or if you suddenly feel panicked or anxiety, that can also be a sign. Again, your body is thinking that you're choking at night, thinks that you're suffocating. So it wakes right. you up and maybe again, you don't realize why, but suddenly you're awake in the middle of the night and you're sweating and your heart is pounding because your body's trying to wake you up and get you out of that suffocation. <laughs> right, right. So what, uh, what are, you said sleep apnea is probably the more common. Are there other, uh, maybe the next common issue that set folks have with sleep? Yeah, just generalized insomnia. And that is sort of a blanket statement. Now there are people who have just primary insomnia and that is a condition all on itself. We used to think that insomnia was sort of like a side effect of 
other psychiatric disorders or or physical disorders, but it can just be a a problem all on its own. Okay. Um, but it sort of depends on how often it happens or how long it's been happening to be able to categorize what kind of support you need. You know, if it is a lifestyle thing or you having a huge stress in your life, I think most people are going to have trouble sleeping. Yeah. And so in that case, it's it's a matter of coaching would be great for those people, help with some mindset things, maybe some nutrition or exercise support. Now, someone who has chronic insomnia or is on a lot of different medications that maybe even cause the insomnia, that would definitely require some more medical help. But again, we live in this culture where we just sort of accept, oh, I'm tired all the time. I'm busy all the time. So yeah. we have to remember that those are actual concerns and we can get help for those things. Yeah, trying to be able to discern, okay, I was just exerting myself a bunch and I should be tired versus this long-term kind of systemic tired. Mm-hmm. Right. Sleeplessness is is common and normal. And I tell people that all the time. Let's not freak ourselves out if we have a few bad nights. Right. But if it is happening all the time and then you sort of get in this cycle of being anxious because you know you're going to be sleepless and then you don't sleep well and then you're upset that you don't sleep well, um, you know, we want to get out of that cycle. Yeah. It turns into this whole like sleep stress thing that it's the exact opposite you need to, to rest well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you mentioned the word culture, and uh, I didn't re- mention you. Your company is Sleep Better NYC. So you you live in the city that that's coined as the an opposite of sleep, which is the city that never sleeps. Um, but culture wise, in general, or or New York, you know how how do you uh, continue to evolve and and handle that kind of thing when you when you're pushing up against the culture like that. Yeah, I know it is a bit ironic considering where I live, but um, yeah, I think we've all heard the phrases like city never sleeps or money never sleeps, sleep when you're dead. Um, The thing is like, not only do you feel awful when you don't sleep, but you might be dead sooner if you don't sleep. And I know that sounds super dramatic, but it is true. (laughs) Yeah. And there's this, there's this weird stigma around sleep and it's just for people who are lazy, but all living things need sleep and first of all we deserve to rest we don't have to earn that right and and even if you're still a little bit uncomfortable with that maybe you're a real go-getter and you're into this hustle culture sleep isn't just for rest either you need it to be better to run faster to be more productive to learn more and retain more information you cannot do any of those things without sleep yeah yeah it's it's it seems culturally that missing leg of the stool you know, you've always heard the work hard, play hard. I know coming out of college and that was kind of the key contributing factor for my own demise, but there's that missing stool of the rest piece. And we actually spend what, what is it like one third of our life sleeping? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we're lucky. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Not if you're having all these issues, right. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's something that if you think about it from a return on investment, if our body requires one third of our life to be sleeping, to do the other two thirds well, we may mm-hmm. wanna look at it a little harder. Yeah, there's a reason that we are designed this way, whether you think it's a higher power or just mother nature, there's a reason that our bodies try to sleep every single night. And maybe yeah. you have trouble doing that, but it's definitely worth prioritizing so that yeah. you can do everything else that you wanna do. So what maybe touch on one, one or two of those reasons, You know, maybe physically what, what's happening or the, the negative side effects of under sleeping. 
Sure. I think the most obvious that most people can relate to is probably uh, that you're a little bit grumpy when you don't sleep. <laughs> even even if you just have one bad night, we sort of realize that right away. It's it's fairly obvious that we're irritable. Right. But it's it's not just because we are uncomfortable and because we're tired. It's actually because our brain is not functioning at its optimal way to function. So when you don't get into enough deep sleep or into enough REM sleep, your, your memories aren't consolidated enough and things can seem a little scattered. You also haven't been able to maybe process some of the emotional things that have happened to you the next day. So the emotional part of our brain called the amygdala, it is super active during REM sleep. So you know, when you sleep, your brain doesn't just shut down. It actually is very active in some parts, including REM. And so when you don't get that, it sort of backfires on us the next day and we can be more emotionally reactive. We might make quicker judgments or say things that we don't mean or <laughs> be a little bit more aggressive in our arguing with our partners. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really not all in your head. It's, well, I guess it is sort of in your head. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because your brain is actually doing this. It's just not able to function the way it should. It's not able to hold on to the memories or to process the memories or process the emotions for the next day. Yeah. Um, which you can imagine is kind of stressful for everybody yeah. around you. Yeah. And it's in that negative compounding interest too, regardless of, of the angle, especially on the mental emotional side of things, the, the unintended consequence of, of being uh, short with your spouse or whomever uh not that i've ever done that but uh <laughs> no no a friend no. of course other yeah. people do that other people mm -hmm. uh but yeah I, it's definitely uh, an interesting element that we don't consider is like oh you're having a bad day but there there's that underlying reason that you can help manage and and improve upon mm -hmm. and there are a lot of therapies for depression and anxiety and they can go hand in hand in a lot of ways and it's determined that treating your sleep can improve your depression and treating your depression can improve your sleep, but it's easier for lack of a better word to treat your, your sleep and your insomnia to then improve your depression. Right. It's, it's really all related. Right. Yeah. I, it just, it's amazing how, how much you keep going back to the foundational need of sleep and, and the cascading effect it has on other things. Mm-hmm. So uh, when it comes to, to working with clientele, like do you all have a particular approach or like just briefly touch on kind of the coaching process as somebody who might need your support? Sure. So most people will come to us, thankfully, through social media or the website. Um, we will have a, a brief questionnaire. We try to keep it to, I believe it's five questions, not including your name. So technically it's like six or seven, but I have about a five question questionnaire just to narrow down a few things about your sleep situation. You know, if you've seen a doctor or not, if you've tried pills or you have a, you know, a CPAP machine or whatever, I just like to know that before we talk. Then we'll have a virtual consultation. Almost everything we do is virtual for now, which seems to be really preferred by everyone anyway. Um, yeah. And plus, I mean, as much as there's millions of people in New York City, there's, to your point on, on the apnea piece and many others, like so many people have sleep issues, or even if they don't have a technical, you know, classified issues, we could all use some techniques to improve on it. 
Mm -hmm. Right. So we'll do that um, consultation virtual piece. We'll follow up with some email and recommendations. We'll do sleep logs. Sometimes people will have sleep trackers, wearable devices. Actually, a lot so, of people do nowadays. So we'll look into that and we'll sort of look at that with the client. Okay. So how do you leverage that? Like, do you, do you look at it on a day by day or is it more of a trending analysis or? More of a trending or weekly. I try to do a lot of things weekly or more trending because I don't want to cause any more anxiety. And I feel like with the wearables, that does tend to be an issue. Um, you want to look at what you're doing and know what you're doing. But if you're looking at the details every single day, it sort of like puts this pressure on you and causes more anxiety. Absolutely. So if, if one of our clients has one of those devices, we'll, we'll check out the patterns weekly and we'll compare it to their sleep log, what time they think they went to bed, when they think they woke up, what else they did. And then we'll have a, two or three more sessions. And in between, we're communicating via email. We're sending um, tips and tricks or personalized tools or um, mindset and some other things that they can work on on their own. Okay. Yeah. I, I can definitely attest that when I first got the wearables, I kind of got a little OCD with it and like was, I mean, I wasn't even out of bed and I was already freaking out about going to bed that night because mm -hmm. it looked bad or something. And I'm like, ah, you know, and it would just yeah. create a significant amount of frustration. Mm -hmm. And that, at some point I finally realized, lot, yeah. I realized I got to just put it down. I ignored it for a few days and just recalibrated. Yeah. And another reason for a sleep coach, again, we get these things and we think we could do it on their own. But what I have heard from a handful of clients who have these things is that they have all this information in front of them and they're like, okay, now what? Right. Like, what does this mean? Or why is this important? Why do I need to know my SPO2 levels? Like, what does that, why? Do I need to do something tonight? Do I not need, do I just go back to bed the same? Mm -hmm. do I, yeah. There's so many questions that to help guide them, a coach is critical. Mm -hmm. And then what if you do find something that is alarming? You know, these things are, if we're comparing it to medical grade testing, they're, they're not accurate, but they are a really good baseline. But what if you do see something that's alarming? You know, I'm sure the Apple Watch one day will just turn on and tell us that we have a sleep disorder or right. something. And, Probably. and if you get that information, what do you do with it? You are going to need to see a coach or see a doctor, but without that direction, it, it can be, you're right, even just like more frustrating or anxiety inducing for clients. Yeah. So I want to touch on, uh, go back to the certification element. So the overwhelming piece of all of it, sleep is getting noticed gradually, which is wonderful, but it's not really known on what is or isn't a good certification or sleep doctors, et cetera. Maybe um, touch on some of the things you have and, and just maybe at a broader sense, if you don't mind. Sure. So personally, I took a few online courses for sleep coaching. Um, there is one through a fitness program that I don't love, so I won't mention it. Um, we have talked before about Nick Lamb's course, the online yes. sleep coach uh, for sleep and recovery. I thought that was really, really great, really comprehensive. I believe he probably works with a lot of fitness experts and most people who are involved in fitness and nutrition also understand the importance of sleep. So I think that's really great. Um, I also have a clinical certification. So I am board certified for sleep education. Okay. My um, 
The letters at the end of my name are CCSH, which is a little more common for people who are sleep technologists, people who run sleep studies and work in labs and things like that. So I just, I really wanted to learn more and get as much information as I could. So I was better equipped to speak to my own clients and really differentiate my company from other coaches. And so that is the certification that I have. Yeah, that's great. Now, if you, if you have a problem and you're seeing a doctor, there are sleep doctors, which even I think people are kind of surprised to know. Yeah. But there are people who specialize in just sleep and usually they're pulmonologists or internal medicine, sometimes cardiologists, but they will, they will focus on sleep completely too. Yeah. And I've noticed, um, at least in my research and learning that dentists, some dentists are starting to take notice of this. Cause, cause like you were saying, it's, it's kind of the mouth and the throat or ENT specialists, perhaps mm -hmm. that really start to look at the, the anatomy and physiology of, of the mouth and throat. Yes. Yes. And especially when it comes to sleep apnea, I actually don't know why I didn't start with that. It might even have been like too obvious, but ENT and dentists, dentists who are trained in sleep, they can be super helpful in getting your diagnosis and treatment for sleep apnea. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what is maybe a key element that you would encourage folks listening to do? Like, is there a top, you know, take action that you would encourage folks around sleep? Mm, there are so many. <laughs> that, um, yeah, it's a pretty broad <laughs> question, but yeah. It is. Uh, almost stating the obvious, but there is no one size fits all. I know that especially now, and especially the last few years, we've seen a, a really big increase in articles and posts and things on TV about sleep. And, and they seem pretty general and vague, you know, top five things to sleep better. Right. Um, and most of those things are great tips, but if those things don't work for you, or if you just can't fit it into your lifestyle, then I don't think you should give up on getting better sleep. You know, I was talking to a, a new mom who of course isn't getting a lot of sleep. <laughs> yes. And she was like, well, you know what? I'll focus on it in, in a few months or so, which of course to her made sense, but I'm like, so you're just gonna be totally okay with not sleeping for a few more months, not even a small change Yeah. because, you know, she read some list that said you need to get eight hours of sleep. And mm, she thought, well, yeah that's not for me. So I guess it's just not what I'm going to do. So it's important for people to know that these things are so, so common, but you don't have to just go with some generalized list that you find on Instagram. There are sleep coaches and sleep doctors that you can talk to. Yeah. I think that's great advice because it, it's that mental roadblock we all have in, in various things, not just on sleep, but mm -hmm. we'll come up with some reason why it's okay. Uh, and kind of just blow it off and keep going when and, and we make it kind of absolutes, right? Either yeah. or you hear the eight, eight hours, I must have, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm seven, I suck, forget it. Right, right. Yeah, especially in sleep, or I'm sure with, with exercise and nutrition and everything healthy, that isn't just a pill. It's, it's consistency and it takes time. Yeah. You know, there is no magic pill to help <laughs> you sleep better. Even sleeping pills truly are not meant for long-term use. And yes. so even that's not a magic pill. <laughs> Important point. Important point. Because I've heard so many things around the sleep medications that people end up getting onto it systemically. And it's, it can actually cause the inverse 
Yeah. Um, and again, because I just don't think people know enough about it and you see the commercials for all these sleeping pills, but as far as I know, there is no, and you know, if a pharmacist is listening, please correct me, but there is no sleep aid created that is meant for long-term use. So even if you get on something, you know, maybe you're just really having a hard time and you really need something to help initiate that sleep for you. Sure. It's a sedative. It will put you to sleep, but it's not a natural sleep. Right. You're sedated just in the way if you drink too much, you're sedated. Or if you go under anesthesia, you're sedated a little bit of a different mechanism that happens in your brain, but you are sedated. You're not naturally sleeping. And so over time, you might just not really feel like you're being rested anyway. You might not feel like you got sleep anyway. And it could, you know, people get addicted and they have other side effects. So sleeping pills, of course, they have their place. But again, unfortunately, a lot of it is behavioral. And even the most clinically effective treatment for insomnia is actually behavioral therapy first and then oh, wow. prescription medication. Okay. It's not aware of that. So, so yeah, well, I guess that's kind of underlying the, the whole point, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're talking about, and um, hopefully the rise of the types of services that you provide to uh, becoming more part of the overall kind of, we'll call it the wellness spectrum mm -hmm. and, and how important that is. And, and, because we all want to perform well, right? We only get one of these lives. That is true. And I do see a lot more sleep coaches popping up and a lot of them have experienced insomnia for themselves or sleep apnea for themselves. And I really love that because those people, of course, it's a little bit easier to relate to people in that way, Right. but those people felt how awful they felt and then they got treatment and they feel so much better. And I think that if you're suffering with a sleep disorder or just you know, generalized insomnia for a really long time, you sort of get used to it and you just think this is my life. But once you start to feel a little bit better, it can be so life-changing. Yeah. It sounds very empowering to reclaim your, your health. And, um, and you're, you're, you know, we're all, we're all worth more than, than that, right? 80% it's okay, but it's not optimal. Right. 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 Um, so going back to the, the technology piece, um, do you have preferred methods or, or how do you look at the, the data to um, help, I want to say prescribe or provide the coaching, the guidance to kind of navigate back to a quality sleep session? More than anything, if we're using um, that sort of tracking information, it will be to get a baseline of when you're going to bed, when you're waking up, how many times you're getting up in the middle of the night and less focus actually on the data that it provides and okay. what else you've done during the day in the night to see those changes. If you have great sleep and a great schedule, except one random Tuesday, to your point, if you looked at that the next day on Wednesday morning, you might freak out and get annoyed at yourself. But if at the end of the week, we look at it and we say, okay, well, you know, six out of seven is not bad. And on Tuesday, oh, wait, you had a bottle of wine at dinner and you watch Netflix until two o'clock in the morning. Okay, well, you know, let's work on that. Change your expectations a little bit here. Not to be, mm -hmm. or, or, or not to change your expectations, but uh, around what you should achieve when you're doing those types of things. Mm -hmm. Or I think that a lot of people, they don't actually have a true understanding of when they go to bed and when not, you know, I might start mm. getting ready for bed at let's say 10 o'clock 
So maybe I don't actually fall asleep till 1130. That's, that's a pretty big difference, but they yeah. might not realize that unless they are tracking. Um, but you know, there are so many products and devices and I think a lot of them are gimmicky and uh, things are always changing and improving, thankfully. So it's important to, you know, use it for what it is. It's a good baseline. It's a good for patterns, but let's not get too crazy on all the details that they provide. Yeah. Well, a lot of what you're saying, it sounds like there's a lot of data points that to make the whole picture and not overemphasize one particular thing, whether it's your feelings mm -hmm. or the data. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So you mentioned one thing uh, we hadn't touched on, we kind of did, but, and it relates to New York City too, is the culture of alcohol. And as I've learned how not very good it is for your sleep. Uh, but we also, again, don't want to talk in absolutes, but maybe can you unpack that a little bit and how to navigate that if you enjoy a glass of wine or, or, or beer? Sure. This is super common. Um, I myself love wine and whiskey. So you're right. It's important not to talk in absolutes. You know, I think if you went to a doctor and you said, I have sleep problems, they say, okay, stop drinking, which will most likely help you. But if we want to be realistic, we can think of some other things to help as well. So right. if you are going to drink, I would recommend first cutting back on the quantity, <laughs> but also consider maybe just doing it a little earlier in the night. Maybe you have a glass of wine with dinner, but you don't drink wine before bed. Or maybe again with the quantity, maybe you have one glass instead of two. Just for example, when you drink alcohol, like sleeping pills in a way, it sedates you. We've probably all been there where we drank too much and we pass out or we you know, fall asleep on the couch or in some place that's not our bed. And so we know that it makes us sleepy but right. it's the quality of sleep that we don't get. So again, if you're in bed for eight hours, but you wake up, you don't feel great. You don't get into deeper stages of sleep, or maybe you got up to go to the bathroom five times. I mean, that's <laughs> not helping with the consistency of your sleep. Right. <laughs> so it, it really affects everybody. And of course it affects people differently, but our bodies and our brains are designed a certain way. And no matter what, alcohol is going to affect you. And so unfortunately we, we see alcohol as something to help us unwind and relax. And I'm not saying that's not true, but if, especially if you're someone who's struggling with insomnia, it should be one of the first things you look at to either cut down or get rid of because it, it impacts the, the sleep architecture or the different stages of the sleep that you have. Got it, got it. Um, yeah, I've gotten it into the data a little bit and realizing HRV and how that influences and it really, HRV ultimately goes back to the quality that you just mentioned, like mm -hmm. how restful is your sleep and, mm -hmm. uh, alcohol is not really helpful. No. Uh, and you know, I, when I was just talking to Emma with sleep apnea stories, you know, she does so much to try to improve her sleep. And she's of course, very well aware of all the negative and the positive aspects of sleep and sleep deprivation. So one thing that she just started doing, I wanna say a few months ago, but I'm not really sure is to just cut out alcohol. And even that has been a really big improvement for her. So she is generally healthy and she has a diagnosis and she wears her CPAP and she's doing all these things, but even just that one additional change has been really helpful to her. And so I think that's really important for other people to know too. Maybe you think you've tried everything, but 
what about alcohol? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's an encouraging point that, you know, there are other things, even when you feel like you're, you've exhausted what you know, but that's kind of, again, circling back to the value of a sleep coach is that there's a broader spectrum of understanding of the triggers that mm -hmm. may be impacting your sleep. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, creeping up on time, but what, um, what did I miss? What is one thing that's maybe top of mind for you that you want to make sure that folks are aware of or anything along their lines that if we did, if maybe we hit it already. No, this has been a great conversation. I'm thinking, you know, we did talk about little habits and mindset and things that we need to do. And I do like to circle back to that because I think that they're really overlooked, just small habits and things that you do every single day that compound and become a bigger problem or, or for improvement. So when you see tips online, you know, do this and that with your bedroom or get blackout blinds or wear a sleep mask. It's not that those tips are bad. They're again, they're all great tips, but you, you need to do it consistently. You can't wear a sleep mask for one night and take some melatonin and expect to feel better the next day. Right. You have to really work at it. You have to be consistent commit. with it. Yeah. Commit. You have to commit just like you need to commit to losing weight. You don't eat one salad and lose five pounds. Although I have tried <laughs> <laughs> so you just need to really, really be in it. Um, and to that point, atmosphere is really important in sleep. Those are some things that you can find online pretty easily. You know, use dark blinds and dim your lights, but just because they're very simple doesn't mean that they're not incredibly helpful. I focus a lot on light with my clients because okay. I think it is really underestimated light natural and artificial light can impact how alert we feel it impacts our sleep and so I really uh, encourage people to think about how much light they're getting and if they're making it a dark atmosphere at night yeah that's a great point and it's it's one that like you said just because it seems obvious or or quote-unquote small doesn't mean it's not impactful and lighting is, is that one that's, that's become a huge thing. And I had a conversation with a previous guest, um, on that very topic on how important lighting is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it also validates my wife's point. She's an interior designer and always likes lamp lighting. And it turns out that lamp lighting is, it's that softer, mm -hmm. less impactful lighting. And it's really probably better for your sleep. Yeah. It's less harsh over the day. At night, it helps you to produce more melatonin if you don't have these harsh, like fluorescent lights or really any light at all it can, can impact your you melatonin. Go back to candles. Production. Yeah, you know what? I don't hate the idea. <laughs> <laughs> there are even, you know, there's light therapy for some people who are depressed or have other sleep disorders. Um, so if you think about how impactful that is to literally just look at a light box, as they call it, or there's some new products you know, that I'm looking at, there's a headband I, uh, called the AO and it's, it's light. Now, of course, it's a specific light at a specific frequency, but it's just light. So at the very bare minimum, we can make an effort to look outside or step outside and get light into yes. our eyes and our brains and our bodies and then block it out at night when we want to sleep, because that's very natural. Yeah. Well, and it really touches on, we hadn't used the term circadian rhythm. 
but we've mm -hmm. talked around all the different things and how, uh, to your point, the sunrise and sunset kind of helps our biology um, and maybe touch on that a hair. Right. Yeah. So the circadian rhythm, you know, most people know that it is sort of this body clock that we have naturally our bodies want to be awake during the day when it's light and asleep when it's dark. Now, of course, we all work and we are in this very modern world. And so maybe it doesn't always work out that way. Um, but especially, you know, when the winter comes and daylight savings time, we do see more insomnia and more depression when it's darker. And some of it has to do with this light. It's not just some made up thing. It's, it's that our brains and our bodies want this light. It helps us to feel awake. It's sort of a, the easiest hack that you can possibly do to feel more alert in the morning is yeah. to look outside, you know, maybe don't stare at the sun because that <laughs> might be uncomfortable, but, but like close enough, it, it can stimulate these processes in your brains, these chemical processes to tell you that you're awake, even if you feel like you didn't sleep at all. So I always encourage that. And I really encourage that before caffeine, not that caffeine is bad, but try to stimulate your, your body and stop that melatonin production in the morning, <clears throat> which will build up over the day. And at night when it's darker, when you're dimming your lights and you're and closing your blinds, that will help to increase your melatonin production, which helps keep your circadian rhythm in balance. Yeah. Awesome. Now you did touch on one thing. We don't have to go down this path, but I think uh, we're ready to start a petition to get rid of daylight savings, at least in my mind. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. That I'm not looking forward to what in a week or so uh, for today's recording, but uh, I think daylight savings is soon. It is. I want to say it's the sixth. Mm, I could be lying, but it is very soon. It's like in a week. Yeah. Not um, looking forward to dark at five o'clock. So no, nobody really does. And we see that when we lose an hour of sleep, heart attacks increase, um, car accidents increase. And I don't say that to scare anyone. It's just really more to think about, okay, that's just one hour. It's sort of this like global experiment. What do we do if we take away one hour? And if all that stuff happens with just one hour less of sleep, then you know, maybe we're onto something here about yeah. getting good sleep and improving your life and protecting yourself. Um, because what, what would you do with one extra hour of sleep? <laughs> yeah. I mean, correlation doesn't mean causation, but gosh, that's a pretty compelling case that, uh, pretty compelling. Oh man. All right. So I'm going to start the petition. You on? <laughs> I'm sold. Yeah. Sold. Awesome. I feel like there are actually some, I believe I'm pretty sure that American Academy of sleep medicine has even been involved in some of this sort of thing. Yeah. And I think I remember some members in Congress seeing them talking about, about that a couple of months ago. Uh, so obviously it wasn't passed yet, but you got to <laughs> fight the good it. fight, right? I, yeah. I sign it. We'll hashtag it all over the place. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, we'll close out here. We got three final questions for you. What are you reading right now? I'm reading The Rested Child by Chris Winter, which I started- right weeks ago and then put down but i picked it up again <laughs> awesome i'm uh, i just picked that up i've been listening to that as well and i've been fortunate where uh, later in the week i'll be having a conversation with uh with chris so oh amazing fun. yeah he yeah. does so much stuff and he's all over the place with different products and books and i i think he's super interesting yeah yeah all right so what um is your go-to restroom recovery method besides in general or um <laughs> you, maybe you have a i don't know what's your sleep hygiene uh habit mm. 
maybe what's your nighttime routine? Yeah, you know, I like, I love a good nighttime routine. I think morning routines are just as important, but I do have a nighttime routine. Um, I have finally trained myself to keep my phone out of the bedroom, which I know is very difficult for people, but I'll, I'll use it basically until it's bedtime, but then I'll leave it in the kitchen. Um, I always drink herbal tea, no caffeine. I always do my skincare in the exact same way and brush my teeth in the same order. So once I do all that, I make sure that I turn off my clock. Actually, I'll face my digital clock away or just turn it off. And that helps me to just know, okay, there's literally nothing else I can do right now. It's bedtime. Yeah. Great. And it's amazing that those little triggers set it up in your mind to start the wind down process. Mm -hmm. Yep. It goes back to those habits and telling your brain that this is what is going to happen. And after this happens, then I sleep. Mission sleep. Um, so what are you listening to be it music or podcast? Hmm. Actually, I just started listening to the Huberman podcast. Yes. Which has just been blowing my mind. Yeah. I he's awesome. love it so much. He's so awesome. He's obviously so very technical and scientific because he's a doctor, but he makes it really approachable. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is a great communicator and being able to break things down and helps my simple mind catch something. <laughs> the information. Same. Same. Even the little doodles that he does on Instagram where he yes. writes out the words and he points arrows and I'm like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Oh, that's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's why I do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So awesome. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for joining me for a second time. Uh, glad we're able to get this done. And uh, I really appreciate what you're doing with your organization and uh, how come folks find you? Thank you. Thank you. So right now uh, you can find us on Instagram at sleepbetternyc. There's no dots or spaces or underscores. We just redid the website, which still needs a little bit of work, but it's www.sleepbetter.nyc. So it's okay. not .com, it's .nyc. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.